If you were not here last week, last week we entered into week one of what will be a four-week series on the doctrine of confession. And I confessed to all of you that uh, this is a doctrine that's being lost in the evangelical church. Confession is an amazing and wonderful gift that God has given us, that we could stand before a holy God and confess our sins openly to Him. And sometimes we see it as an obligation. We don't see it as a privilege. And last week we opened up the series, again our sermon series is titled, I Must Confess. And last week we talked about, I must confess I need God's cleansing. And we talked about uh, confession from the aspect of cleansing. And we walked through one of those chair texts in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. If you haven't read that passage in a long time, it just says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we talk about sin and we talk about unrighteousness, what are we talking about? Well, last week we walked through and said that unrighteousness begins with our thoughts, all right, and then also leads down to our words and eventually to our actions. Unrighteousness would be anything that you would say, think, or do that you'd be embarrassed to do in front of Jesus Christ. If you've had a thought that you would be embarrassed to share with him, a word that you'd be embarrassed to say in front of him, an action that you would be embarrassed to do in front of him, I would, I would venture to say that's a pretty good measuring stick to say, what is a sin? <coughs> and God has given us this unique gift of confession that we could stand before a holy God and admit who it is that we really are. Admit that we've had thoughts that don't honor him. Admit that we've spoken words that don't please him. Admit that we've, we've had actions that don't fully represent who he is as our Lord and Savior. Confession is something that is so important, and it's something that is being lost. It's being lost in the church. There's a lot of churches that don't have any confession as part of their worship service. It's being lost in the home, uh, where, where fathers are not leading their families into confession. And children are, are unaware of what it means to confess before a holy God. And so this has been a burden on my heart, and I know in the heart of many other pastors. And so it's something that I thought through the next four weeks that we could talk a lot about. So last week, we started off again through 1 John and talked about the, the need for cleansing. Today, the title of our message is, I must confess I need God's mercy. I need God's mercy. So we looked at confession from the angle of cleansing. Today, we're going to look at it from the angle of mercy. The mercy of God is the very air that we breathe. It's sustaining our lives from one moment to the next. It's only by his steadfast love that we are held together each and every single hour of the day. In a world of brokenness where we face dire consequences for, for so many sins that we've committed, we have to admit that we have no power to heal ourselves from the disease of sin. Our broken souls can only cry out for mercy to a God who desires to give us mercy and bring us healing. If only we would confess what we have done wrong and turn back to his open arms once again. We are a world in desperate need of the mercy of God. And God is calling on us to confess our need for it before it is that we can receive it. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Okay, Proverbs, we're going to be in chapter 28. We're going to read just one verse, verse number 13. So if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy and errant infallible word. Again, we'll read Proverbs chapter 28 and just one verse, verse 13. 
Okay, hear the word of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day that you've made. Father, we thank you for the gift of confession. We thank you that you are full of mercy and steadfast love and that you call us to repent and to confess. And if we confess that we will obtain this mercy that you promised to us. Heavenly Father, I pray as we enter into a time of the proclamation of your word here this morning that you would move in this sanctuary, that your Holy Spirit would convict hearts and minds. Father, that you would have your way with us here this morning, that you would show us, according to your spirit and your word, areas of our life that do not please you, areas of our life and the things that we think, say, and do that bring dishonor to your kingdom and areas that we can confess and be cleansed and today receive mercy. Thank you that you are a God of all mercy. Thank you that your mercy is new and it's fresh with every sunrise. And we ask for that mercy here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, amen. Before we walk through this this verse in uh, Proverbs 28, I want to make one distinction. I made this last week. I know some weren't here, but this is a really important distinction that all of us need to understand because some may be confused by this. All right, as Christians... When we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our salvation is secure in a moment. All right, so when we put our faith in Christ, when we're trusting in him for our salvation, we believe that all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He died the perfect death that we deserved. He made a way from death to life when he rose from the dead and came out of the tomb empty. All right, and then when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sent down his precious Holy Spirit, and he's been given us this gift of eternal life. And so all of our sins, past, present, future, has been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ if we've been born again, if we've placed our faith in Christ. And so that begs the question, well, Bo, if I've already been forgiven of my sins, what is the need to reconfess these things over and over and over again? We talked about this last week. We need to understand the difference between positional or legal forgiveness and relational forgiveness. All right, legally speaking, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, a legal transaction actually takes place. You are declared innocent before a holy God. And that's a one-time transaction. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you are declared innocent and you are given all of the righteousness that Jesus Christ earned for you through his perfect life and sacrificial death. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. You can't change it. You're sealed in that. All right? That is your legal forgiveness. But we also said last week, you have what is called a relational forgiveness. And all of you understand this who are parents or grandparents because there's nothing that your children or grandchildren could ever do to no longer be your child or grandchild. However, There's a lot they can do to put a serious strain on your relationship. Amen? All right. So, again, you can't lose what God has secured in Jesus Christ. That is your legal forgiveness. 
But relationally speaking, just like a child to their father or their grandfather, if we are not confessing our sins, the sin between us and God, it's getting larger and larger and larger and larger, and our relationship is strained. In fact, the people that doubt that a God even exists, those are people who have never, ever confessed their sins. They've spent most of their lives putting God in their courtroom and not the other way around. It is through confession of our sins when we confess who it is that God really is and his love and his holiness and who we really are in our sin where we have fallen short of that holiness and we begin to be honest with God that he can cleanse us. We talked about that last week and then offer us grace and mercy and draw us into a wonderful relationship with him once again. So I hope, I hope, I hope I'm making it as clear as I possibly can because I think the Bible makes it clear that even if our sins are forgiven eternally, there is such a need to be confessing sin on a daily basis as we enter into this relationship with God. Again, there's a direct correlation of people who would say, I don't really know God. He seems so distant. I never hear him speak. I never see him work. To those same people, I would ask the question, how often are you talking with him? Are you praying to him? Are you reading his word? And are you confessing to him your need for forgiveness because of the sins that you've committed either through your thoughts, through your words, or through your actions? So as we walk through this one verse in Proverbs chapter 28, uh, it's something that I think could apply to all of us because there are certain areas of our lives where we're very similar in how we respond to sin. So number one, as we walk through here, I want us to take a look at the idea of the concealing of our sin. All right, the concealing of our sin. It says in verse 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Well, this idea of hiding when we sin, it's, it's not new to human beings. It's been here since the very beginning of time. In fact, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, when we see the original sin, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, what is it that they did? Verse 8 of chapter 3 of Genesis says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So you see, the very beginning of time, when sin first entered the world, the natural human reaction to sin is to conceal it. It's to hide from it. Because we're ashamed of it. We're naked because of it. We had this intimacy with God prior to sin. Think about the beauty of the Garden of Eden. I think sometimes we don't take enough time to think about the intimacy that God and mankind had prior to the fall. All right, You had God who created Adam and then created Eve out of the rib of Adam and gave them the food that they would need and the fellowship that they would need, all the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the wild stock the livestock roaming the face of the earth, all these wonderful things in God. Everything God created, he said, was good. And then when he created human beings, he said it was very good. And he had this wonderful this union between God and man. God said, you can have anything you want, just don't eat from that tree right over there. And when Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit and sin entered the world, disunity has taken place ever since. There's been this chasm between God and mankind. And Jesus Christ is the one that has brought God and mankind back together again. But sin, since the very beginning, has caused human beings to hide. It's caused human beings to run. It's caused human beings to get as far away from God as they possibly can. And the reason why is darkness hates 
the light. Darkness hates the light. I mean, think about this. Is church the absolute last place you want to be when you know you're not doing what God has called you to do in your life? I mean, this is not the first place you want to be, right? It's, it's convicting to come into the house of the Lord knowing that this is a place of light when you've been living in a place of darkness. It's natural as a human being to want to run as far and as fast away from, from our lives as we possibly can when we're living in sin because darkness hates the light. I've even seen this in the animal kingdom. All right, human beings do this, but so do dogs. You ever had a dog that knew he did something wrong? Right? When I was growing up, the first dog I ever had was an Irish setter named Shanna. And Shanna used to, my sister's here visiting, and, and she smiles because she knows what I'm talking about. My, our dog used to dip into our fluorescent colored Crayola crayons. And she would eat the crayons, and then she would leave us fluorescent colored presents all over the house. And when Shanna did something wrong, first of all, it wasn't hard to figure out who did what when you saw fluorescent colored piles everywhere. But all you had to do was look at that dog and say, did you do that? Did you do that? And Shanna would run into our rec room and she would stick her head underneath the, the blanket on the couch. Her whole body would be hanging out the side of the couch with her tail wagging back and forth. But in her brainiac little canine mind, she thought if I could at least get my head under that blanket, they won't be able to tell that I did anything wrong. We all have animal, we all have dogs or animals of some kind where we've, even they, even in the animal kingdom, they know when they've done wrong because doing wrong brings shame. We want to live in darkness. We don't want to go anywhere near the light. We know inherently, we know when we've done wrong. And the first thing we want to do is hide in darkness. We want to conceal our sin. But to understand more about why we conceal our sin, we need to take a look at the consequences of our sin. So let's go from from number one, the concealing of our sin, to number two, the consequences of our sin. And there are consequences. Three in particular that I want to talk about here this morning. All right? Our sin damages our relationship to God. It damages our relationship with others. And then it damages our relationship to self. So let me start first with the damage of our relationship with God. Again, we talked about this in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, this wonderful relationship that God had with mankind. It was perfect in every way. It was whole. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no separation. It was perfect in every way. Sin gets in the way, and all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They're kicked out of this wonderful experience of paradise, and they're called to fend for themselves out in the wilderness because God is a holy God who cannot stand the presence of sin. This sin has brought wrath. It has brought punishment. It has brought death. But even for Christians who've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, sin still brings discipline. Okay, in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it talks about how God as our father will discipline us, as a loving father will discipline a son. And can I be honest, and I've said this before, that God is still in the spanking business. I don't want a spanking from God. Even though I know at this point in my life, I cannot lose what I did not earn in terms of my salvation. In my daily walk with God, I don't enjoy his discipline. I don't want to be spanked. I don't, want to, I don't want to have this, this disunity with the Father because there's nothing better than to know that you're living in the will of God and that you hear Him speak and you see Him work 
and you know that his hand of favor is on your life. But when you're living in sin, you will not experience that closeness with God. You will not hear him speak. You will not see him work on your behalf because he cannot stand the presence of sin. If you're experiencing a time in your life right now where God seems distant, my question to you is, have you confessed your sin to him? Have you been specific in a time of prayer and confessed thoughts that you had that did not honor him? Words that you've spoken that don't honor him and actions that don't fully represent who Jesus Christ is. Sin damages our relationship to God. It also damages our relationship to others. Look what happened to Adam and Eve. They were husband and wife. God brought them together in the first marriage. It was supposed to be a beautiful union where they would procreate and multiply over the whole face of the earth. What happens when they sin? They start playing the blame game, right? Adam looks at Eve and says, why did you eat the fruit? But then Adam ate the fruit himself, but he blames it on Eve. Then Eve blames it on the serpent, and everybody's playing the blame game. There's disunity, and there's been disunity ever since. Human beings struggling to find peace, struggling, struggling through so many different things, through jealousy, through hatred, through envy and disharmony with family and neighbors and and even friends. Sin does that. Think about someone in your life right now. Think of a family member. Think of a neighbor, think of a friend, someone that maybe you have a little bit of conflict with right now. seems like this time of year is when that conflict rises to the surface and we're we're most aware of it. I guarantee sin is in there somewhere. It It may be sin that you believe is completely caused by the other party, maybe something that you're responsible for as well, but it's sin. It's sin that leads to disunity. It's sin that splits families right down the middle. It's sin that causes us to hold a grudge. We need to confess it. Confess it to God and and confess it to each other because sin does so much damage, so much damage to our relationships. But also, sin does damage in our relationship to self. When we are living in sin, we are in bondage. We are slaves to our own desires. Here's what non-Christians, they can't get this right. People see church and they see Christianity as this rigid set of rules, this killjoy religion that says that you can't go out and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I just want to live for myself and I want to enjoy life and I don't want to live this prudish Christian life. Well, here's the fact of the matter. If you're not living according to the rules and the standards of God and you're living according to your own desires, you'll always be in bondage and slavery to your desires because you'll never be happy. You'll always be seeking something else. You'll always be setting your own rules. You'll always be looking for that next thing that will bring you the the, the fulfillment that you think it will, but it won't. And yet, for those that live according to the guidelines and the discipline of the Christian life, they're living according to God's standards. They're doing what God has given them to do. They experience what God experiences for them as their very best. And they experience joy and they experience freedom. It is freedom to live for the Lord Jesus Christ because he loves us and he's created us for a very specific purpose. But when we're not living for him, when we're living for self, for our own selfish desires, we're always going to be a slave to those desires because those desires will demand from us what we cannot repay. 
So sin damages our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and also our relationship to self. And these areas of sin are something that we cannot repair ourselves. Our best efforts to try and make up for what sin has broken can only make things worse. The only thing that we can do, the gift that God has given us, is to confess, is to be honest before a holy God, to be honest about who we are, to be honest about who He is, and to beg Him for mercy. Mercy is God's healing hand taking broken things and restoring them once again. That's something only God can do. God can take broken... God is still making beautiful things out of broken things. Amen? But we have to confess. We have to be honest before Him. We have to stop playing games with God and get real. He already knows everything that's on our hearts, everything that's in our minds. I said last week of the things that I struggle with in my own life, the most unrighteous area of my life is probably my thought life, the things that I think. And if you think that I'm the only one, let me challenge you. I've said this before. If I could take even one day of your life and cast every single thought that you have on a projection screen so that everyone can see what you were thinking for 24 straight hours, would you be embarrassed? Yeah, I think I, think I would be. And you know why? Because I, I'm a sinner. I have a fallen nature. I'm selfish. I have thoughts that, that are very self inf- self-focused. They don't include other people. Or if they do include what other people can do for me, it's very selfish. But it's a, it's a part of how I'm wired, and God is he's helping me. But I want to be honest before him. And I want to confess to him that I need his help, that I want to have the thoughts of Jesus, that I want to love other people the way that Jesus does, that I want to use words that Jesus would use, that I want to live a life that Jesus would live. And I can't except to confess and ask for God's help. So that leads us, number three, to the confession of our sin. We talked about the concealing of our sin. That's something all of us do. The consequences of our sin, the damage that it has with God, with others, and with ourselves. But let's look at the confession of our sin. The very last part of verse 13 says, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. How do we know that if we confess our sins, that God is going to grant us mercy. Well, I think we have it on pretty good authority that this is a part of who He is. This is the nature of a good and loving God. Let me share a couple of verses with you to encourage you in this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then one of my favorites. This this passage gives me so much hope. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I, you know, that's one of the reasons that, um, that I love the morning time so much. Now, I'm not really, I, I'm becoming more of a morning person. All right, I have blood fa- relatives in here today that could testify I've never really been a morning person. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is something special about waking up to a new sunrise and knowing that you haven't outlived the mercies of God. 
no matter what you've done or committed in the day before, you can confess to God and his mercies are new and they're fresh with every rising of the sun. Amen. Praise God that we have a creator who is so full of grace and mercy. It, now, again, I said this last week, and I want to say it here now. It does not mean that sin does not come with consequences. It does not mean when we're living contrary to the word of God and we confess our sins, that God in forgiving us is still not going to somehow enable us to experience the consequences of our decisions. The things that we do have consequences. All right, And you as parents understand this. You love your children, you'll forgive your children, but they still have to face the consequences for the decisions that they've made. However, I don't care what the consequences are in life. I know that I can face them if I have a God who's walking with me, a God who's standing right by my side, guiding me through the storm. All right, it is God who will walk with us through, a, through the storm with us each and every time that we're willing to confess our sin because it's a part of what his nature is all about. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, one thing that Jesus says is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In the Old Testament, in a time of atonement, obviously there had to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so they had the, shedding, they had the sacrificial system where they would shed the blood of the animals and the people would pray and ask forgiveness over all their sins. And the forgiveness of that sin would come through the shed blood of the animal. Well, praise God through Jesus Christ. He's the final Passover lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All right, there is no more shedding of blood because his blood was the final blood sacrifice that took care of it all. But even in that, Jesus says, it's not the sacrifice that I desire, it's mercy. I want to be merciful. What I want is you to have a broken and honest heart before me. I don't, we don't need another animal to be, to be killed. I want someone to stand before me in full honesty and confess who they are so that I can show them who I am, that I can be gracious and merciful. So the question would be, how often should we be confessing our sins to God? Well, how many hours of the day do you need God's mercy? There's a one-to-one correlation there. If you feel like the mercy of God is something you need to sustain you each and every day, then the confession of our sins should be something that we should be doing each and every single day as well. I said there's a colloquialism that's found its way into South Georgia, and that's all of us saying, Lord, forgive us where we fail you. There's nothing wrong with that. I love hearing those words in the church walls. But let's be specific. When you're in prayer with God, he already knows your heart, and he knows what's on your mind. But he wants to hear you say it. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to stand before him and say, these are my thoughts. These are my words. These are my actions. Forgive me. I turn away from them. Again, there's a key part here in passage, in the passage we read in verse 13. He who confesses and forsakes them. All right, that's repentance. That's saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. I confess it to you, but I'm also turning away from this lifestyle. I don't want to live this way anymore, God. I don't want to be an imposter. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Not only do I ask your forgiveness, I turn away from this. I want to live for you. I want to know your mercy. I want to know your grace. And I'm not going back to that lifestyle again, Father. Please help me. Please help me. That's when God starts getting serious with us, when we start getting serious with him. And we can begin to understand his mercy and begin to have things that were broken be restored once again. So that leads us to our conclusion And our conclusion is this. 
Only true confession of our sin will offer us the mercy of God we need for all areas of life. Say that one last time. Only true confession of our sin will offer us the mercy of God we need for all areas of life. As we enter into a time of invitation, I just want to ask all of you to allow the Holy Spirit to do some introspection in your own heart. When's the last time, think about this, the last time in prayer that you were very specific about the sins that you have committed and confessed them before a holy God? When's the last time that happened? I confess to you, it certainly hasn't happened frequent enough for me. It's something that I I greatly desire to do more because I want the mercy of God more in my life. And it's passages like this, very clear passages This one verse that we've read here today, Proverbs 28, is clear and it's easy to understand. If we conceal our sin, we will not prosper. But if we confess our sin and forsake our transgressions, we will obtain mercy. And this Christmas season, I pray for you and for all that we would experience a sweetness and a mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we just thank you and praise you for this day that you have made. Father, again, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a way only your spirit can move. I pray that people in this room, myself included, Father, we'd be honest before you. We would confess things that we've said, thought, or done that do not obey you, Father. And then we would plead for you to forgive us and to restore us and to have mercy upon us, Father. You are such a good Father that your mercies are new and fresh with every rising of the sun. And I pray this mercy upon all of us, Father, if only we'd be honest. Help us to be honest according to your spirit. Give us the strength to confess with our tongues how sinful we are and ask for your restoration and forgiveness, Father. Please be with us at this time. We pray for your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.